Hello, and welcome to Future, Future Tech Chat, the show that has been plagued this week by some technical difficulties. We'll uh, do our best to stay online here. Every week on Future Chat, we sit down to talk about science and technology, with the discussion centered on a new and exciting topic in one of those two fields. My name is Robert Trell, and I'm joined, as usual, by my cousin Mike. We're just a couple of science enthusiasts who love to learn and talk about the latest and greatest science and tech developments. I hope you're excited to join us today when we talk about bicycles. We're also fortunate to be joined by Nick Maddox, the brewer of the greatest craft beer ever made, I assume. Just a few of the topics we hope to cover this week are how bicycles have changed in the last 20 years, how new material design will make all new bike shapes possible, and how likely it is this new technology will ever find its way into your Canadian tire bike. Join us as we jump headlong into the future of technology. It's going to be a great show. How are you guys doing? <laughs> great. Everybody was dancing so hard that they forgot <laughs> what's happening. Rob, I, I want to know how you can not dance during that music. It is fantastic theme music, I gotta say. I was, I was dancing. I was dancing in my mind, though. <laughs> oh, so you mean you weren't dancing? <clears throat> no, I was dancing. Mentally. All right, what is up with your internet connection, Rob? Gymnastics. Yeah, I think you owe everyone an apology here. I'm sorry. I'm. Why are you I'm not running really tech savvy? <laughs> I owe a special apology to our one viewer right now, uh, who I assume is my mom, because she was saying that she was having issues. No, no, I know who it is. Kaya, I'm sorry <laughs> for it, Rob. I'm sorry for asking you to watch this. You know, my, no. my mom said she was having issues, so I thought it was her, but maybe it's maybe it's Kaya, or maybe we'll have a computer pop up. Regardless, we are going to continue with the show, Rain or Shine. The show must if go I, on. If I disappear... I will do my best to get back, and you guys can just keep soldiering on. <laughs> we'll um, we're talking this week about bikes. Bikety bikes! And Nick loves bikes, I love bikes, and Mike likes bikes. <laughs> I just, yeah, that's <laughs> accurate. <laughs> um, you, you have to like them because that rhymes. Yeah. Otherwise, you would probably love them. Pretty much. Hopefully by the end of this episode, you will love them. Um, I want to just say before we start that as a person hosting a show, when something goes horribly wrong, it makes it takes all the pressure off. Like I feel so <laughs> relieved now. <laughs> Nothing worse could ever happen. So, Nick, I want to talk to you first because you love bikes. Like I do, I really you like do. them probably more than me and. Maybe more than anyone ever should. <laughs> but but that's, that's what I like about this show, is that we could talk about our absolute love of inanimate technological objects. So, and it is a technology. Yeah, exactly. So why don't you tell us about your bike? Because I know you did a lot of research into bikes and ended up with this one. So what made you choose the bike you have? Because this bike is just... A delight, unfortunately, due to laziness and, you know, materials fatigue. My bike is not working right now. <laughs> this is one reason I got the bike that I did, because it has a belt rather than a chain. Right. <laughs> Try and get that up there so you can see. Yeah. Oh, cool. It's, uh, I don't know, something. I think polymer, and I believe this is a strip of carbon fiber. Keeps it from stretching and whatnot. However... <laughs> 
it was outside, or it lived outside for a couple winters, and uh, yeah, that <laughs> happened. So how long? I was gonna Sorry. say, does it does it keep it from breaking? Because it doesn't seem to be working that well. If that's the well, intent. chains will snap too. Yeah, chains do. Snap. My I had my bike repairman tell me that at some point at the end of this summer or early next year, my chains are just gonna snap when I'm on a hill. And... <laughs> that's what happened to me. Like I was standing up to take off, like at a stoplight, and all of a sudden just thunk, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> I need to get home. <laughs> but yeah, so my bike has a carbon fiber front fork, which soaks up some of the road bu- buzz and makes it super light. Uh, it has an eight-speed internal gear hub, which means that from the handlebars, you can just click the shifter and the gear is changed. It's a planetary gear system like you find in an automatic transmission on a car. Okay. But, like, the fact that there's eight gears gives you some nice range and stuff like that. Uh, the belt was nice because I wanted something that would replace uh, replace a car effectively, and they're supposed to be really good at shedding mud and snow and slock and stuff like that. So if you have to bike in adverse conditions, you can. I also have a dynamo installed in the front hub. I just need to get an actual light set up, and uh, then it'll be perfect. So is it like on the, this Dynamo, is it like on The Simpsons where it's slowing you down right now even though you don't have a light? No, that is a generator. Um, okay, explain what a Dynamo is then. A Dynamo, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but effectively, like in the front hub, it spins, I think it must spin a coil of wire around mm-hmm. a permanent magnet or something like that, and that generates current for whatever application you might have. Cool. So it's kind of like a generator. I mean, it is a generator. <laughs> it is a generator, but the gen- it's the generator like sits on the back of a wheel and derives right. kinetic motion from that. So there's very little resistance in that. Yes, uh, it's much more efficient. Like the only resistance you're facing is, you know, spinning up something in the center of the hub, which is easy, mm-hmm. and the thermodynamic resistance from, like, drawing a current, because otherwise physics just isn't a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The light set I all, I have my eye on also, like, has a little switch to toggle the front light on and off, but under that switch there's a little USB plug, so I can charge my phone while riding. And oh, sweet. It oh, would be the dream. <laughs> so why aren't you doing that? <laughs> because it is $300. Oh. <laughs> and I am a grad student. <laughs> That also explains why you don't have a the car. New belt, I would assume. Are, are they like are they expensive? Are they hard to come by? Uh no, I, I want to go to the Trek dealer in town, but it's farther away than the other dealer, and and I've got stuff going on. Like <laughs> I'm a grad student, so there's a lot of drinking happening lately, and yeah, sure. Okay, so for the bike nerds present and watching, what kind of bike do you have? A Trek Soho Deluxe 2012. So when you bought this, was it used? Did you get it brand new from this Trek dealer or another one? Brand new. Ooh. Yeah. Fancy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so people that aren't necessarily bike enthusiasts... Are wrong. Um, well, I, I agree. I agree that they're wrong, but they would think that you go to Canadian Tire, you buy the bike that some kid built at Canadian Tire when it came... Uh, and they spent $100 on it, they think that that's 
that that's usually their vision of a bike, and they don't think that it can get any better than that. I remember when you first got your bike, Rob, <laughs> and I was like, you paid what for a bike? For a bike? Why would you pay that for a bike? And I was one of those people. <laughs> so that was a used bike. <laughs> was that your Specialized or a different one? Specialized. Yeah. Uh, no, that was... I think it's giant. I don't really look oh, okay. at the... I didn't really look at the side. Like, I didn't actually do the research on it. My dad did, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It, mm-hmm. You can get... I mean, even the 850 U's that that bike cost is pales in comparison to even the high-end, like, consumer bikes, never mind racing bikes that you'd see in the Olympics or in the Tour de France. Yeah. So... Full disclosure, I'm one of the Canadian Tire bike guys. <laughs> so I actually upgraded the last time when I first got a stable part-time job, and I was like, oh, I'm going to buy a good bike. And a good bike to me at the time was a $200 Canadian Tire bike because my previous one was some probably garage sale bike somewhere. Um, and that quickly, I quickly outgrew that one because it only goes so fast and is really heavy and has really big tires. So, and for those who don't know, it got drowned in, in my parkade, so it's not functioning right now. And it's got a flat tire, too. <laughs> so which of the two is the worst problem? <laughs> At first, it was a flat tire, and then it just happened to drown while the tire was flat. So. <laughs> and given the fact that it was a poor-quality bike to start with, you probably yeah. should just take it around back and shoot it. <laughs> well, when it got the flat tire, I was like, well, it's not really even worth replacing at this point, like... <laughs> you know, you look at a flat tire and you're like, this just isn't worth the effort, like, honestly. Well, it's, it's more like I was wanting to get a new bike already, and then the tire went flat, I'm like, I'm not going to spend, like, 50 bucks on a tire, and... Just... How much do you think tires cost? <laughs> I don't know, it wasn't just the inner tube, like, the actual outer part got torn, too. How did that happen? I don't, ran over a nail on, like, a railroad track. Oh, okay, that's a bit more expensive. I don't know if it's $50. I was going to say, like, yeah, because there's a whole other, like, wheel and tire and tube are all, like, separate things on a bike, and it was hard to get my head around. See, that's why we're here. We're here to clarify all those different... Oh, that was the other thing about my bike. The tires it comes with has, like, a little section of cushioning so that, like, if it gets punctured, it, like, won't go flat on you. Like, it will close itself up? Yeah, run flat. Uh, I'm not sure if it'll do that, but it, like, has an extra jacket to resist punctures. Oh, okay. So it's not like the the ones you'd see in, like, a Bond movie where they would get punctured and then they would fill back up and plug the hole. Self-seal? No, not quite. I was watching watching a video this week uh, that was demoing... You were watching a video? It was... I watched a lot of videos... Uh, it was showing these tubeless tires. Like it, it looked similar to what you'd see in a tire, but it was just hollow and sort of a strong mesh. And apparently, like there was a guy mountain biking with it. It the the tire technology has gotten really cool. And I imagine because flat tires are so common on bicycles that we'll start to see more and more of that as it gets cheaper. Well, they do have tubeless tires that are used for racing right now. Cause yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I mean fewer parts, but yeah. you like need someone to hand you another wheel when that goes flat. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Um. So why don't we talk a bit? Because 
I learned a lot this week preparing for this episode because I, what I knew, like I know sort of how bicycles work in general, but I wasn't too familiar with the specific technology that go into bikes. And so basically what I learned is the difference between your basic $100 Canadian tire bike and a racing bike that costs $25,000 or as much as a mid-sized car um, is mostly in the frame. And so you can have a cheap steel frame or even a cheap aluminum frame and that's going to be fairly heavy. There are th there are materials like aircraft grade aluminum that will bring the weight down. Like it's literally like planes are if planes were made of steel they wouldn't fly. Like they have to be made of very light aluminum uh, and strong aluminum. But it's still hard to shape that like a metal to make anything other than a cylindrical tube. But with the the invention and development of carbon fiber the the fibers allow you to make the bike into any basically any shape you want and it and it's still able to be strong even though carbon fiber is very light and it doesn't require a lot of material to to hold it together and so that was one of the the coolest things I've seen because my bike the the one that I got that is it's less than a thousand dollars was it's mostly carbon fiber and it's super light like I can hold it over my head for five minutes if I wanted to with one hand like it's it's so light and coming from every bike I had before that being 20 pounds or something it's it's a delight to use like it doesn't it's not hard to go up hills um, I don't I assume your bike is carbon fiber neck like the whole way through or is it just the front fork like you mentioned no a lot of it is aluminum because it's still like it's not a a racing bike it's a hybrid yeah. So it was bought for like a commuter or something like that. So it's, I think it's at least twenty five pounds or so, the whole thing, like the whole kit. Okay. And God, going up Edwardy Hill like every day, I really wanted one of those slight tiny bikes. <laughs> it's it's actually quite incredible the difference it makes. Uh, I've been wanting to go to a bike shop and just test drive a couple of. $2,000 bikes, just to see the difference, because I know that the, the difference that even just going up to a slightly more expensive bike is amazing. Um, yeah, I just, it's fantastic. I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't extol their virtues enough. Having a light bike, like, it makes it so much easier, it makes it, I work about six kilometers from my house, and I'm I'm starting to consider. After I've been there for two weeks now, and I'm starting to consider that I should just start biking because it's. You absolutely should. It's so it's yeah. way more convenient than waiting for a bus, even though the buses come every seven minutes or something yeah. during rush hour. Just don't be that guy who rides to work in a pair of dress pants. No, I wouldn't oh. do that. <laughs> What's wrong with that? I ride to my work in dress pants all the time. <laughs> Nick. Grad students do not wear dress pants. <laughs> Have you ever ridden a bike wearing dress pants? It's so comfortable. I can't imagine that being true. <laughs> I'm telling you, with the right fabric, like it's kind of smooth, and there's, ugh, it's gorgeous. I'm the person that's when I'm commuting by bike, um, I will wear my bike shorts, which have padding, because my seat is, again, pretty minimal. 
I will wear bike shorts under shorts to ride around because it's it Why adds to comfort. Shorts? Bike shorts under shorts? Yeah. Why not just bike shorts? Oh, like the yeah, the, the super tight spandex oh, okay. bike shorts. <laughs> yeah. Rob, the world needs to see that. Driving <laughs> the world. Speaking of bike technology that makes your ride more comfortable, bike shorts are fantastic. The the padding that is in them. It's it's not it doesn't add any weight, which is the whole point of like if you, you could have a seat that's made of pillows, but it's gonna add weight to the to your bike. And but having bike shorts is a pretty easy way to drastically reduce the amount of pain you feel running it. Yeah. And that's like it's more than just that. Like I have had I have a friend. He ran into a lot of discomfort with uh, bike riding when he first got into it like saddle sores and stuff like that. Right. And once you switch to bike shorts, it's just you don't have that rubbing friction against your skin anymore. Mm. And it's just you hop on, you're like, I could ride for days. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the that's the point is that the, your limiting factor when you're going on a bike ride shouldn't be your seat comfort. It should be your leg strength and, and the amount of the number of gel packs and water bottles you have on your bike. <laughs> I was going to say, I learned the hard way that food can be a factor when you're on a bike ride. <laughs> you're like 65 kilometers in, and you're like, oh, God, I can't. Yeah, they actually have, like I guess, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, like, you're struggling in first gear, like, on level ground, and you're like, it's so painful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they actually have, speaking of technology, they have apps and stuff, I think, that, you can schedule, like, time your your ride, and then it will remind you when to, like, do your fueling and your hydrating and all that kind of stuff. Like, That's so you'll have, like, regular alarms set. So, because you have to take in, say, like, 200 calories per hour or whatever to, like, keep up your energy. So then it will just, like, notify you when it's time to, like, do all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you pre-pack beforehand, and it will tell you how much you need and all that kind of stuff. Now, you know what would be really cool is if that app integrated with Google Maps new um, I don't know if you've seen Nick when you're when you're plotting a bike route but Google Maps now gives you elevation information yeah I've seen that <laughs> it'd be cool if it told you like you're about to come to a flat or like a slight downhill you should eat now because then you have to stop <laughs> <laughs> well normally you wouldn't stop anyway no but if you're like pounding up a hill you wouldn't want to be trying to eat well, you as know well. like eating a cheeseburger, you're just like squirting gel packs into your mouth. Speak for yourself, Mike. That sounds like, <laughs> amazing to me. Double like, it should be like mess. riding along with a McDouble, just like, <laughs> I got this. <laughs> so another one of the things I learned this week, well, I, I knew, but I, I looked more into it, is the amount that in, in the professional biking circuits, how much they use complicated stuff like wind tunnels and computer modeling to figure out, to make a bike more aerodynamic and to make it more comfortable for a rider. The amount of money that they put into cycling, like um, bike companies like the U.S. Postal Service team, which I think I saw was using, we, we were watching a bunch of Trek promotional videos, and that's what the U.S. Postal Service uses, is Trek bikes. I was going to say, I believe it's Trek, because I think Lance Armstrong rode the, rode the Madone for most of his Tour de France yeah. titles. So titles. It's, 
<laughs> if I can draw an asterisk. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we want to get too much into the technology of steroids, but... Um, I listened to a talk on them this year, and it was really interesting, as an aside. Yeah, I mean, po- politics and rules of cycling aside, it, I mean, he did win. He did still ride the amount and faster than anybody else. And apparently, like, they've been saying that everybody at that time was doping, and if you ha- didn't get caught, it just means you're using one that hasn't been tested for yet. Um, but so the, the bikes that they use are literally built and they, they ride them in wind tunnels to minimize wind resistance like both in the bike frame itself like they will take things like the brake the the brake pads and they'll incorporate them into the frame of the bike as much as possible so there's nothing sticking out which I thought was really cool just they have the wires that will run to your brakes and to your gear shifters tucked inside the frame of the bike just yeah the wind as much as possible. Or like the specialized shiv, which puts a bladder into oh, yeah. the down tube instead of having an external water bottle just for the aerodynamic efficiency. <laughs> just remember to change that water because I imagine <laughs> that would get stale really fast. To like turn your bike upside down to empty it. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually they'll just be they'll have catheters and that'll just like lead out into the road. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so painful. <laughs> Would you rather have like a funnel with a little like slight vacuum, maybe? <laughs> I don't think there's any comfortable way to do it. <laughs> uh, so, anywho, <laughs> one of the things that I found that was really interesting because in, in thinking about bike technology and the kind of things that I would like in a, in a bike is getting rid of all the complicated parts. Like there, a bike, if you took it all apart, has like a thousand parts in it. I don't think there's that many. There's a lot. There, like every little piece is separate. Like all this, like there's lots of screws first of all. And then you start to get into, there's little springs and there's like the, when you take it all apart, there's lots of pieces, um, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue on a specific number. I'm sure you would know better than I do. But things like the chain, which again you can replace by a belt, um, there are there are programs or things like Kickstarter programs or research being done to get rid of spokes or to come up with a better system to keep the wheel stable, and especially trying to simplify the gear system because the gear system on a traditional bike that is basically the same as it was 100 years ago is really prone to braking and you can have the chain jump off the gears. There were bikes that I saw that just have a drive shaft, like in a car. Yeah. And I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. Like, it, it literally, it's just a, it looks just like a piston going from your your uh, pedals down to the back tire. Mm. That just seemed like the neatest thing. Yeah, There's stuff like that used a lot in Africa because it's kind of level and it's for, you know, giving people greater mobility and stuff like that. So they they also have brake systems that instead of having a cable, you just, like, pull and it pushes down on a brake pad or something like that. Okay. Anyway... Mm-hmm. So it's heavy pieces, but it makes it like really maintenance free. Sure. 
Yeah, and I mean that's that's what you'd be looking for. I'm sure there are people here that would, if if it meant that you wouldn't have to get your bike serviced as often, they would take that kind of trade off of not having something, not having yeah, a probably. break. And especially if you're using it as a commuter and not like, you know, that thing that isn't a commuter, <laughs> a professional <laughs> racing bike. Yeah. yeah, I think one of the common themes, I guess, when we're talking about how to change bikes and stuff, is that. When you look at what the bike's going to be used for, you can optimize the build to better suit that purpose. You know, take like, and I was watching a video that Nikki gave was like a triathlon bike. And it was like, they said specifically in the video that they were able to design it for triathlons because they didn't have to follow the same rules that, you know, road racing had to follow. And then you have like track racing bikes where it's literally like, you know, no gears, no but no nothing. brakes, it is like nothing. nothing. It's like nothing. There's no brakes. It's like, yeah, it's like pedals. Hard. It's pedals and wheels, and you just push, and you're in like this crazy spacesuit, and that's what that's all you need. So it's kind of cool, like how the technology adapts to what you need, and you can like really, really like optimize things for that purpose. Yeah, it's it's fantastic, and. You, you start to see, I mean, even now, I mean, it's not necessarily new, but you would see things on commuter bikes like having the the pack that sits on your over your back wheel or having a basket in the front, like a big basket in the front. I've seen there are bikes that drive around downtown Ottawa that are for mail couriers, and they have a big, like a, you could put a, like a Rubbermaid container on it. Like you could carry 100 pounds of stuff. Hmm. And so they're not light. They're certainly not built to race, but mm -hmm. if you're trying to carry a lot of stuff it, but you don't have a car, it's, yeah. it's really convenient. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you have a good point in here. Uh, bike sharing, I think, is a really cool program. I don't know if you guys have one in a uh, system in Calgary. No. Like in uh, Montreal, Montreal has, yeah. Ottawa has have the Bixie system. Which is... As does Toronto. Yeah. I I think there are more. Like I know New York has the New York City has the city bike program that everybody was complaining about, but isn't really. It's not a bad thing at all. Like all I would say about the Bixie system is that it's pretty expensive to start. Like it's got a high cost of getting into it, mm -hmm. but I it's really cool. Like it's I think it's eighty dollars. You put an eighty dollar deposit down and then. Um, it basically only charges you a lot if you are taking the bike like for 24 hours or something. If you are stopping, if you're like going downtown on short trips, it costs like 50 cents. Like it, it almost nothing. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people downtown are making those just those short trips, and so that's really all they need. If they have that subscription, they don't they don't have to walk anywhere. They can just bike these sort of mm -hmm. short to medium distances downtown. Yeah. I think it works really well. Like, when we were living in our condo, like, if we didn't have bike storage, like, we wouldn't have anywhere to put our bikes. So I think for people who live in an urban environment who may not have a need for their own bike that might just take it on short trips, you know, down to the river or that kind of thing, then, then I think bike sharing would be would be a good alternative for that. Well, like... Um... When Kai and I went to Miami a couple years ago, they have a bike share program in South Beach. I'm not sure if it's on the mainland as well, but it was on South Beach. 
And I mean, you had to have a credit card or something like that, because if the bike was heavily damaged or stolen, they would charge it to your card, but it, mm. there wasn't a big deposit to it. So, like, I think we paid, like, 20 bucks, the two of us, one day, and, like, went and rode bikes around the area for, like, an afternoon. It was really nice. That's mm. cool. Great for tourists. Yeah. If there wasn't, like, a larger deposit on the Bixie system... There have been so many times where I've come out of Union Station and needed to go to, like, the Billy Bishop Airport. Mike, actually, I was going to say Mike or Rob, I don't know. Are you guys familiar? No. <sighs> guys! <laughs> There's, like, I forget how long the walk is. It's, like, half an hour, 40 minutes, maybe, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, so, Union Station is downtown Toronto, and then... Toronto City Airport, which is also Billy Bishop, but nobody calls it that. Um, <laughs> it's down there not far away, and there's like a, a shuttle that you can take from the Royal York or something like that to and from. Okay. But there have been so many times where I've seen a Bixie and been like, I could get there faster on my own if I just took this thing right now, because like, there are Bixie stations near Union, Mm-hmm. There are Bixie drop-offs near Billy Bishop, like the ferry to get over there, and it's like this would be so easy. Why? Why is it not? <laughs> yeah, th- that kind of thing really rang true for me most recently yesterday. Um, Julie and I were going out for dinner downtown, which would normally, when I lived downtown, it was fine. It wasn't a big issue at all, but downtown Ottawa, if you get right up to Parliament, we're going to milestones which was like it's literally almost dead center in downtown every street in that in that like two block radius is one way mm-hmm. and yeah. there's no street parking if you don't have like if, if you had a bike and you were riding down it would be so easy and if you're taking public transit it's so easy but there's nowhere to put a car so bikes are really just the best like it's the fastest most efficient way to get places in a downtown core. I just... Yeah. Yeah, it was yesterday, so it really bothered me. <laughs> that is the long and short of it, yeah. yeah. Especially oh, if there's you... a segregated bike lane and you just, like, fly by all the stop-and-start traffic. <laughs> I love doing that. That's Honestly, it's my favorite thing. I have a picture on Facebook from, like, last or summer in Calgary where, like, I don't know what was happening, but there was road construction. And I actually got up to my apartment and took a picture. And you could see, like, just a line of cars for blocks that just wasn't moving. And I was like, you see that little gap between the, the cars and the curb? That's where I came through. <laughs> so is that actually legal, though, to be driving along the shoulder like that? It's actually that on 10th Avenue, I think. Yeah. Or yeah. yeah, it's actually like it's not painted on, but it's a signed oh, okay. uh, bike lane. Cool. Because Nahi Nenshi is wonderful, and I love him. <laughs> he is. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, in terms of sort of getting getting the public around in an efficient way, have you guys looked at all into getting or into maybe this is just me, but electric bikes like not not a motorcycle not a scooter 
But my grandpa had one for a while. Yeah, a bicycle <laughs> that has an electric motor. Yep. Um, I was reading about some of the some of the models of them that actually will use braking or going downhill to charge the battery back up. Actual regenerative braking on a bike. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Which is just, I mean, yeah, that's that's the ultimate because. You don't like you don't if you're riding a bike on flat ground you don't need power it takes no energy to keep a bike moving on on flat ground but if you're going up a hill it'd be really nice to have just even some assist you don't need mm-hmm. necessarily to power your entire ride but if it, if it could make it 50% easier it would make everything so much better I didn't think those motors had enough torque to actually like push you up Oh enough. they do Do they? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh. Just stick a Tesla motor on it. <laughs> no, I remember trying my grandpa's and like revving it up as fast as it could go to see what that was like, and I was like, okay, that's too much. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's cool. But, but I mean, for an electric motor to move a hundred pound, well, one to two hundred pound person plus like thirty pounds of bike, it's nothing. Yeah. That, I mean, electric motors are getting more and more efficient, and they're getting more and more powerful. The, the Tesla is testament to that, because the original electric cars, even 10 years ago, had no, like, the whole thing was, oh, this is, like, it's a baby car. It doesn't have any acceleration. There's no power. It can go 50 miles an hour, and that's it. But now, the, like, the Tesla, is, you could race it almost. Like, there's... It, it can keep up with the... Not almost. Like, you can actually race electric cars now. Yes. If you've ever watched <laughs> Top Gear... They do race electric cars. I Like, they even race solar-powered cars now. But, I mean, I mean, keeping up. I don't think you could build an electric car that could keep up with a Formula One car. Yeah. The solar car racing, that's more, like, endurance than, like, drag racing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Be cool to see an electric car drag race, though. <laughs> Topic. <laughs> uh, one of the other things that I wanted to mention, because this sort of gets into not necessarily bike technology, but technology that we already have that is used to help cyclists. Um, there are a lot of a lot because I because I follow tech news. I read a lot about startups that are trying to make either make bicycles better in some significant way or make an app that makes the cycling experience better. And one of the coolest uses I saw was bike locks that will unlock either via near-field communication with an Android phone or via Bluetooth with... It could be any phone. It could be something on your wrist. But would you guys... I guess like the, the biggest barrier for me thinking about that getting mainstream is people not necessarily trusting hitting a button on their phone to lock their bike lock and then walking away trusting that that can't be just easily hacked and then their bike stolen without any effort. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think my biggest issue with that one would be like probably an issue of cost because like depending on the comparative costs of it, a U-lock and carrying around a little key all day, taking 10 seconds to close or open or close it, it's not that big a detriment to a cycling lifestyle. Like, if there are things I would fix, it wouldn't be the lock experience so much. True. 
it, are there things you would fix? Um, like, what would you fix I, to take that one? I think from? I have seen, like, there was a bike of the future, and I tried to find the video for it, and I couldn't. But it would it had like a blind spot indicator and stuff like that. <laughs> that is something. About oh, I think I did see that. I would fix. Yeah. It was amazing. That thing looked great. There there are a lot of videos on YouTube of people with like cyclists with GoPros documenting drivers that just cut them off and drive right in front of them or like try to turn while they're going through an intersection. Like it's it's pretty dangerous being on a bike, and so any yeah blind spot technology would be really cool. Even just having some having it alert you if someone's coming up behind you. Yeah, like I don't know. I've also I feel like I've been pretty lucky because drivers around me are usually pretty good. Probably because I'm wobbling a whole lot, and they're like, "Oh God, better give this one a space." <laughs> are, do you wobble? I don't know. A lot of issues all. There's also an issue with like how people bike because a lot of people think that to stay safe you need to stay as far over as possible, but that means that you run into more problems in the long term. You're supposed to stay at least a meter away from the curb because one obstacles yeah. like sewer grates and stuff like that that are bumpy that are likely or liable to throw you. Mm -hmm. um, two like debris and three if cars like try and zip past you, if you give them room, they will. Yeah. But if you're just that far out, so far that they have to just, like, be aware of you and go around you, it's, like, there are municipalities that, like, try to legally enforce that, like in Florida, I think. <clears throat> they have a special video that they give to the public for cycling safely, okay. and a big part of that is, like, you know, taking the lane before you go through an intersection because a cyclist beside the curb and a car intending to make a right-hand turn, like, cyclist, mm -hmm. car, yeah. it's a bad situation. So, like, they specifically say if you're approaching an intersection, take the lane because it prevents bad things from happening. I don't know how I got onto this tangent. There uh, <laughs> ways to make biking safer. Yeah, so... Oh, yeah, documenting things. I think a lot of people stay too far over, which is a problem. Yeah. Granted, I hinder people, and I'm a jerk. <laughs> but it's what you're supposed to do to bike safely. Right, and it's not you're not really inconveniencing cars that much by doing that. They will get they will act as though they're being really inconvenienced, but... Yeah, well, you usually meet up with them at the next stoplight anyway. Yeah. But... Yeah. Um, also, you're saving them tax dollars. Road wear and tear is a function of the fourth power of the weight of a vehicle riding over over them. So, I mean, a bicycle is almost nothing on the roads that they design for commercial trucks and vehicles. Right. They're not really saving tax dollars because that's what the gas tax does, is it pays for those road costs. Right, but the road gets damaged less. Yeah. Right, but that's because you're not paying for gas. Like, what? people who buy gas are the ones who pay for the roads. That's why there's a gas tax. Is that the system in Canada? Yeah. yeah. Right, but they are saving money because the roads get less damaged. But you're not spending gas, so you're not compensating for that damage anyway. 
it's a self it's a self like the people who are damaging not are necessarily well, not, not fully but if we're if we're going that route um they did a broad survey of stuff like that and most cyclists also own vehicles so they do end up paying for it when they're driving because they well, do they should gas. yeah <laughs> do you have this argument against electric car owners too mike <laughs> But that's the whole point. Do is you that have the some vested interest in the sale of oil and oil products, Mike? <laughs> Not directly, but no. My point is that electric really? cars, electric cars do damage roads too. <laughs> they do, but if they're not paying the gas tax, I don't they're, they're actually getting subsidies from the government for being electric, so I think it it's the, fine. <laughs> the carbon, the carbon neutrality or carbon lack of. Yeah. The other issue at play is like every cyclist off the road is that much less traffic, so you will get there faster in the long run. Right. As a vehicle. (laughs) Or as a motor vehicle. Yeah. (laughs) Because bikes are vehicles, they have brakes and stuff. (laughs) Nick, the video definitions. Sorry? The video you sent me last night about Bill Nye's vision of the city of the future. Yeah. It's amazing. He he makes the point about the, sort of the same thing we're talking about, that to maintain a bike road would take a lot less maintenance because bikes are so much lighter. It would They would need less space. They wouldn't really need lanes if you're having a bike way. Yeah. If you no cover them... You, like, is that you can basically construct tunnels with artificial wind flow so that the wind is always at your back and you're always protected from the weather, and that is cheaper than maintaining roads for cars and commercial vehicles. Right. And I also love that when you ask Bill Nye about the city of the future, he's like, the city of the future! Bikes! Bikes, bikes, bikes! And it's not like, you know, there are these alternative energy infrastructures, it's not like (laughs) more public transit, it's like, we're going to have more bikes in the future. Bikes, bikes, I'm Bill Nye. Bikes. (laughs) He's basically saying... Um, the, we will all thinking. be Amsterdam soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I, I completely agree with him, especially the point about weather, because basically the only reason I wouldn't ride my bike these days is that I have a road bike which has no <laughs> no friction, like no traction on its tires, uh, so I don't feel comfortable riding in the rain. But if, if I had a weather-protected tunnel... What you whew. need is another bike. <laughs> I should buy a second bike. You're right. You should, I don't know you should why buy that. a hybrid for commuting. Actually, no, you wouldn't have to buy a hybrid because you already have a road bike. Yeah. You can just can buy just like a hybrid tire. Really? No, you can just get a point A to point B bike with it's, fenders. It is my point A to point B bike right now. But it doesn't have to be. Rob, the appropriate number of bikes to own is N plus one, where N is the current number of yes. bikes that you have. Yes. That's true of a lot of things for me, actually. Bounded, of course, by S is less than 1, where S is the number of bikes which would cause a separation between you and your spouse. (laughs) What if that that S is already (laughs) 1? Then what do you do? You get a different spouse. (laughs) Take no kayak. (laughs) <laughs> oh, she knows how I feel. 
Um, is Nick, is there any other, or I guess Mike as well, although you only like bikes, <laughs> is there another point you wanted to bring Why up? Why am I even because... here? <laughs> so that have... you too can feed off our enthusiasm. I think a really interesting note, as far as I've been reading, is that uh, the bicycle lobby is actually a big reason for paved roads, like nice paved roads in between cities. Because, like, horses were just fine. They could walk over whatever, more or less. But uh, apparently when people started biking in North America, there was a big push to say, listen, we use our bikes to get places, guys. Like, we need proper roadways in between major urban centers so that we can bike between these places. So roads were actually built for bikes. That's pretty cool. bikes. It's interesting. <laughs> it's also interesting to note how little a bicycle has actually changed over the course of its history. Yeah. Like, like none, really. And the efficiency of a human being on a bicycle is just staggering. Yeah. The, the, the way that we convert pedaling power into forward momentum is remarkable, really, if you think about it. Yeah, it's like you can, if you restrict people so that they're not actually like working any harder than they would be by walking, you instantly triple your speed for yeah. no more effort. Hmm. It's astonishing. <laughs> you know what I think they should have, and what I'm surprised, maybe they do have it already, I just don't know. Is it, it more is, bikes? They should have those. Specifically bikes that are automatic transmission. Because... People, say say you're just getting into cycling, and you know you're in like first gear, second gear, whatever. Say you're in the first eight gears. People will think, oh well, that makes it easier to ride. So they're like ripping their legs around trying to like go fast in like these stupid low gears when you could like switch up higher and like have a lot more efficient riding. But they don't realize that they're being inefficient in their cycling. So if you had a bike that could recognize like you know, your pedal RPM versus your wheel RPM and switch up as needed. Apparently they have had efforts to do that mechanically. Mm -hmm. But I think the problem that was encountered was like sometimes, in longer distances anyway, you shift down into lower gears for a rest, Mm -hmm. but the bike doesn't necessarily know that you need to rest. So it's like, man, what are you doing? Come on, like, get back into this gear. And you're yeah. like, I can't, it hurts. <laughs> but I guess I guess that's the issue with the mechanical versus... Yeah, I perhaps with the, like, electronic system yeah. or something like that. Yeah, where you could override or, and then just... There are, like, biosensors they're coming out with that, like, go around your thighs hmm. that can start giving you feedback based on whatever data it collects. Maybe you could hook that up with a bike transmission to say, like, oh, okay, maybe you should slow down for just a little bit. We're going to gear you down for now. Hmm. Could work well. Hmm. Well, heart rate monitors already give you feedback on how hard you're working and oh, yeah, but I'm in a zone. Like, uh, I think it can pick up on your electrolyte balance and stuff like that. Oh, cool. Or... I want to say lactic acid production, but I have no idea how it would actually accomplish that. <laughs> it can maybe measure, like, the expansion of your muscles, like... Yeah. Maybe. Bikey, bike, 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 guys. 
<laughs> so before we wrap up, I want to I want to go through because I found three examples of, uh, I guess what I'll call innovative bike designs, and I want you guys to discuss with me how how comfortable you'd be riding it if you if you'd buy it if you'd consider using it. Is one of those the Trek Damani? Because we should talk about that. It's amazing. This show is sponsored by Trek. <laughs> <laughs> have I told you about my Trek Soho Deluxe? <laughs> I also have ambitions to buy a Trek Madone and Trek Damani. <laughs> so this is the first one. What um, in heaven's name is that? If you're listening to this, you may want to go and watch it because, um, yeah, you're not going to be able to see it. <laughs> But so basically, this person is laying, laying down almost prone on what looks kind of like a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And apparently, it's more efficient pedaling that way, and it it puts a lot less strain on your back to have it straight, so you're not bent over the handlebars. Is that not like the same argument for a recumbent? Uh, yeah, the same argument, sort of opposite direction. Like in a recumbent bicycle, you lean back. So, I'm being honest right now, but looking at that design, my concern is genitals. <laughs> There's probably a little, like, divot. I should certainly hope so, because where is my junk going <laughs> in that design? <laughs> Maybe, yeah, I mean... Honestly, though, like, look at, like... Maybe it has... Support for the... I guess, like, along the torso, Maybe. Maybe it has a funnel vacuum system that Rob was... <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what the big thing underneath is for. <laughs> Old liters and liters of urine. <laughs> so would you guys ride... Would you guys at least... Would you at least try this bike? I would I would try it, but I'd be way too vulnerable in traffic. Like, with my head going forward, I'd feel like I'm diving headfirst into the fender of a car. Yeah, it looks like... It looks kind of like a Tron bike. Yeah. I can't get over liters and liters of urine. Are you guys ready for the next one? Oh, yeah. So this this bike, I'm not exactly certain how, how this bike becomes rigid once you unlock it, but well, this you basically... Maybe just it the right way. Well, no, but I mean, it, it's... Really, I'm, Nick? Yeah, Mike, really. I went with it. <laughs> this bike eliminates the need for a lock because it is a lock. It bends around whatever pole or bike rack you're on and locks to itself. What's the purpose of the bike? Like, as a commuter? Or, yeah. Because yeah. Like, with the last bike, I could see it being more a racing thing. But... Right. Well, yeah, this one, like, it's collapsible, too, as you can see. So it would take up, it wouldn't need yeah. so much length space. I'm skeptical, but like I mean, it it may well be perfectly comfortable. But like I said, like the lock situation isn't my main problem with the biking experience. Mm-hmm. Right. Hmm. Although I'm thinking about it, it's pretty joyous up until the point where you have to lock it. Yeah. So maybe it is the biggest but detriment. How are you gonna find you know a vertical pole completely alone in order to lock your bike up to as opposed to like an actual bike rack well you could lock your, you could lock this bike to a bike rack it just wouldn't be the traditional way I'm not saying uh, I hate it <laughs> we 
would you at least give it a shot and see if you hated it? I, oh. I would give it a shot. I would ride it. I would I'm ride sorry. most bikes I come across, but I guess so. All right, this I'm is the last. This is the last one I was able to come up with. Oh jeez. <laughs> no. This isn't even so much a bike as it is. <laughs> it's like a couple amusement park ride. Like what the heck? How does that, that work? Looks like what it looks like what you did with a kid on like uh, <laughs> a shopping cart. You just like swing your legs and try and go forward. Yeah. No, like you can you can it's like a skateboard almost, but like it you basically just run underneath it and lift your legs up. Lift like, legs to. Yeah, like you're suspended underneath the. Where do you put that? <laughs> that is horrible. <laughs> I really like it. I've seen. Just putting it out there. I've seen worse ideas. <laughs> I've seen better ideas. I've seen a like lot of better ideas. <laughs> Tractamani being one of them. Just, should I bring up a picture of the Trek Damani? Is that is that what we're doing here? Honestly, we should talk about the decoupler system because it's amazing. Is that that seat being free from the frame kind of thing? Yeah, the seat post like yeah. can actually bend up. So if you have like the actual frame and the seat post here, upon impact with something, it's like at this angle, it'll actually like lean down and absorb some of that impact for you. Which is a brilliant idea, I think. My concern is that with material fatigue, one day that's just going to snap. But I don't know how that's, you know, I don't know how that's guarded against, and I don't know the science of it. Would that, or I wish that I did. I wish that I owned one. <laughs> so the, the, what you're talking about is right in here in the seat post. This actually isn't connected. Correct. Mm -hmm. It allows it flexes bet back and forth between, uh, based on whether you're hitting bumps or whatever it is. Which I, I mean, from from the video that that Trek has, that well, I'm assuming we'll put a link to because we're gonna just sell a lot of Trek bikes today. <laughs> um, I hope so. It reduces a lot of vibration, and vibration is what slows a lot of biking down. So you could ride this the, the example they have is there like you can ride this bike on cobblestones and it it'll absorb a lot of the vibrations. So like Yeah, this is this is one of the newer bikes designed for the spring classics. So like the Paris Roubaix which goes over a lot of cobblestone track, like a lot of riders just can't go as fast because they are so miserable and uncomfortable because of the cobblestones and the bumping. So these bikes are meant to keep you more comfortable so that you can go faster. Or if you're into endurance, you can go for longer without the same amount of discomfort. Yeah. Apparently it will absorb half of a sharp impact or something like that. Yeah, it reduces by 50%. Um, one of the, can, can I just point out, in watching this video, I see, I don't know if you can see it printed on the tire, but it's a... The guy pronounces this, the word, Bontrager. Yeah. But it's French for bon trajet, which means good, <laughs> like good trip. Trajet is trip. Yeah, it's not spelled that way, but that's where that that's where that name comes from. But he called it Bontrager, and I thought that was just blasphemy. <laughs> I've always heard it referred to as Bontrager. Right. I mean, perhaps I mean, you should discuss this in Ottawa. 
we should. It says I don't know, I don't know Bond- what that has to do with Ottawa, but yes, we should. Bilingual Keith- city? Okay, fair Keith enough. Keith Bontrager is a motorcycle racer who became a pioneer in the development of the modern mountain bike. So it's named after a guy. Okay, so it's the guy's fault. I guess. <laughs> Rob, to that, would you say touche, monsieur? I would say touchy, actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> apparently that's how we're doing things now. <laughs> Yeah, you make a good point. But, uh, yeah, it sounds like he doesn't recognize his French roots that he obviously has. No. Terrible. <laughs> we should have some soup to jour. <laughs> <laughs> really, I find that soup to jour really provides a niche within a full menu. <laughs> this, this is going off the rails right now. <laughs> Is this what they warned you against in broadcasting school? Are you saying we're getting derailed? Oh, no. Is there anything else bicycle-related you guys want to talk about rather than just making puns? (laughs) No, I think we got a pretty good handle on it. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I'm ready. Personally, I'm ready for a break. So. Oh no, this is broken. <laughs> You're not gonna. You don't have one more. Yeah. Maybe I spoke I, too soon. I don't have puns. Okay, there we go. You got it. <laughs> so coming up next week on Future <laughs> Side Chat, <laughs> we have a really, we have a really exciting episode planned. We are going to be talking about uh, science and how politics influences and is influenced by. Uh, academics and how science policy in government affects scientists. Uh, This has been a really big issue in the Canadian government landscape over the last few years and over the last uh, 10 or 12 years since the George Bush era in the US government uh, just science policy has gone kind of off the rails which is not a bike pun I don't think. <laughs> so we're going to talk about how the effects of that and how uh, how much hope we should have for the future of, of science research that's, that's government-funded, which I'm really looking forward to. I as well. Me three. Anything else you guys want to talk about? I, I also want to do a quick uh, look forward, not look forward, but just mention... Uh, in two weeks, we're going to be talking about gadgets because September is a huge month for gadget releases. We're going to have new phones from all the big phone companies, possibly new wearables, probably not watches that look like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm all I'm very excited for that as well. I feel like we should just have another bike one instead. I love it. <laughs> We can talk about bikes during that one too, but only maybe briefly. Bike gadgets. All How right. about what if we do a hangout while on bikes? We'll all be on separate bikes with phones mounted to the handlebars, and we'll just talk while we're biking. That sounds like the very definition of distracted driving, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't necessarily be distracted. We would be showing people what it's like to look at our faces while we ride bikes. We'd be very focused on doing the hangout. Yeah. <laughs> not distracted at all. 
We'd be on a closed course, and we're obviously professional drivers, so it wouldn't be a problem. Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> we would... I feel like we should do this together on the same track, for one, so there's that. That'd be cool. But I, but I feel like if we did that, you would have to uh, like rate the Hangout as explicit, because I would be laying down the trash talk. Just true. hardcore. That's true. We, we, we would have to make it a race, I guess. If we were on a close track, I don't know what else you would be doing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, we'll, wrap track, we'll all give us bicycles. We're going to wrap this up. <laughs> no, we should have talked about Surveilo. That's another thing we should talk about. Man, R&D is great. You had your chance. Now you're going to have to wait until the next one comes. Oh. We revisit bikes at the year. That one's going to be sponsored by Surveilo because I have so many good things to say about Surveilo. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> In that case, I'll see you guys next week. Be sure to go subscribe to Future Chat if you enjoy these because I know that we enjoy making them. Uh, obviously, if you want to see 10 to 12 percent of posts, go like us on Facebook, and we'll we'll share as much as we can with you. Uh, we're also on Twitter on Future Chats, so go ahead and do that if you're up for it. Anything Google else you guys want to add? Google Plus, too. Yeah, but everyone knows we're on Google Plus. Google Plus and YouTube are connected. True. Um, not that everyone wants it that way. I guess one last shout-out to Trek for, for providing literally every piece of information in this episode. They're amazing. They have put so much effort into research and development for bikes, and they deserve all the praise in the world. They have. Their scientists did seem really cool. Or their, their engineers, whatever. Yeah. All right, well... I want to uh, give it all up and go work for Trek and Surveilla. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm going to try the ending music again. Uh, so, yeah. Either mute your microphones or don't talk for the next 30 seconds. Yeah, can't silence me, Rob. I won't okay. take kindly to this, Rob. <laughs> Did you, you just muted. <laughs> well, jeez, that completely defeated the purpose. I don't even. I'm not even ready to end it yet, guys. You guys muted yourself so soon. <laughs> when you say the phrase "let's wrap it up," I don't think it's going to be like. Nick's gonna like take off on a tangent unless I actually want to mute or mute myself. So what are we doing? You're muting yourself. I just needed to buy some time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to be a part of that. All right. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>